0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. I was 17 years old when I heard, I am Jesus. What a beautiful, impactful illustration of God's grace and mercy. So we come to the amazing climax of the story. Certainly not the end, but the climax. I am Joseph. In that declaration, Joseph's emotion peak, and the brothers experience a rich crescendo. There are few more dramatic scenes, I think, in scripture than this amazing thing. But these verses are climactic in another way also. We have said from time to time that Joseph is a wonderful type of Christ. Consequently, his revelation of himself to his brothers aptly illustrates that great personal climax of human life when Jesus reveals himself savingly to his people. So I want you to see this morning the dramatic story as it pertains to Christ because what you've just seen played out and what we're going to look at is exactly what happens in the life of every one of us when we recognize who we are in truth and who we are now because of Christ. The first thing I want you to see is that there was knowledge before knowledge. The parallel between Joseph and Jesus may be seen in several propositions. First, Joseph knew his brothers before they knew him. Joseph knew Benjamin when he first saw him. He knew Judah, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and all the others. But all they thought of him was some monarch that they knew nothing about. Some Egyptian ruler that they knew nothing they did not perceive that he was Joseph. In fact, back in Genesis 42 and verse 8, we saw, And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. It's not, isn't it strange that we should fail to know and recognize the God who created us, or the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior? Or recognize his presence in the situation we're dealing with? Isaiah 1 verse 3 says, The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Do you really know Jesus? Do you really understand what he is doing in your life? As God told the people of Jeremiah's people in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do you really understand the presence of Jesus in your life? When Jesus, the Son of God, appeared on earth that first Christmas, The situation was exactly the same. In fact, John 1, verses 10 through 11 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. We did not know Him, but He knew us, and He knows us from the beginning. David said that God knew him from the innermost parts and right from the beginning when He was being formed. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 15. "My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, integrally woven in the depths of the earth." God know, knew David. In fact, David began that very Psalm 139 with this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before the word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Jesus doesn't merely know you from the beginning in the sense that he might simply be aware of your existence. He knows you profoundly. He knows you deeply. He knows you're going out and you're lying down. He knows the secrets, even the most secret depths of your heart. And this was the case with Joseph and his brothers. The brothers had confessed their sin to each other, but never openly confessed Supposing that there wasn't a creature on the face of the earth that could ever reveal it. Yet, Joseph knew. He had known all along, and he was now bringing that to light. So also does the Lord Jesus Christ know you. He knows the sin you have tried to hide and have succeeded in hiding it from him, from others, but you think you have buried it forever. But Jesus knows it and is exposing it. Why? So that you might find forgiveness and cleansing. You know, I I see this all the time. I have preached a message with a specific goal, with a specific direction, and someone will come up to me afterwards on a completely different topic, and they'd say, did you know what I'm going through? How, How did you know what I needed? I don't have a clue. But God is applying the word. And sometimes it even happens with visitors that I don't know from Adam, but yet they act like I knew what they were going through. This is what God does when he is applying the word to our hearts. Remember that although you may hide from other people and from yourselves, all things are open before his eyes and he knows everything about you. So there is knowledge before knowledge, his knowledge before your knowledge. This also leads to the reality that there is love before love. There is an additional parallel between Jesus and, uh, and uh, Joseph, and that is the fact that Joseph loved his brothers even though they didn't love him. It's true, as the story shows, that the brothers eventually came lo- around and loved him deeply, but they did not love him yet. How could they? They had hated him from the first. They had sold him into slavery. And then they supposed that he had died. And as God worked on their conscience, they came to regret and eventually to repent of their actions and to turn from their wicked ways. Yet, Joseph loved them and was actually acting toward them in love, even though they didn't know it. Joseph... Not only loved them, but he loved them deeply. How deeply appears in the story as overcome before Judah's poignant pleading to Benjamin, Joseph breaks down and has to require his Egyptian people to leave the room. Genesis 45 verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Considering the hatred, the experience Joseph had with his brothers was one of vile, cruel hate. They intended to murder him and then decided to make money on him and sold him into slavery. Yet, Joseph loved them. And our Heavenly Father loves each one of us deeply. This this is a moving story. Joseph had been alone for many years. I'm sure he thought he would never see his family again. And when he did see his brothers, he kept his feelings bottled up. He wouldn't reveal them so that God could continue to work what he was working in the lives of each one of them. So what are we to say of Jesus, who we find in Scripture weeping over Jerusalem. Was there ever a love like this? Joseph's love was great. It was amazing. But Jesus' love is beyond comprehension. I noticed, too, that Joseph loved his brothers in spite of any appearance to the contrary. Remember, he has spoken harshly to them when they first came to Egypt. Later, he placed heavy demands on them. They were to bring their brother back even though they didn't want to. And then he put Simeon in prison. And then he hid the cup in Benjamin's sack in order to break their self-confidence. You see, from the perspective of the brothers, these were hardly acts of love. And I'm sure when you're going through difficult times and things seem all out of whack, you would hardly look at them and say, These are acts of love from God. Truly, the truly hateful thing that Joseph could have done was to do nothing, give them their grain and let them go on their way and die in their sins. Are you being buffeted by God? If he is buffeting you, it is for your benefit. It's because he loves you. Learn from Joseph that he, using circumstances to drive you from sin and drive you to repentance, that you will come to Christ and live in free name. So the other thing we find out, interestingly here, is that they were saved before they knew it. They were saved before they knew it. This will probably offend my Arminian brothers. Everything that has happened in the story to this point has been an aspect of the salvation of these godless men, which God was affecting through Joseph. Yet they didn't know it. And here, when they had actually repented of their sin and had given evidence of having become regenerated people, they were so unaware of what had happened, that they were literally terrified. And they feared the revenge at Joseph's hands. Genesis 45, verse 3, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed at his presence. The literal translation for dismayed is terrified. They were so terrified that they couldn't speak. They were stuck like pillars of salt. Let's review what God had done to bring them to this point. First, he had subject them to the pinch of physical want. They were starving. They needed food. And there was no other place on the face of the earth they could go but Egypt. Second, he had subject them to the pain of harsh treatment. These men were not used to such treatment. Joseph's words would have been a bow to their self-confidence, a blow to their self-confidence. No one had ever treated them this way. Third, they had known the benefit of pressure and solitude as they were put into Joseph's prison and forced to think introspectively about what they had done. Fifth, there had been the pattern of an ordained necessity. In spite of their wishes, they were unable to simply return to business as usual. The problem stayed with them. The conviction stayed with them. The events that Joseph put on them stayed with them. There was no getting away from it. Sixth, they were moved by the power of Joseph's affection, which they couldn't miss, yet they didn't understand. And then finally, there was the purging of self-confidence through the discovery of Joseph's cup and the sack of Benjamin. These were the means God used to turn them from sin and bring them to new life. Yet the brothers didn't know it. It's only at this time when Joseph reveals who he is that suddenly they realize what's going on. As a matter of fact, their condition was worse than one of mere ignorance. They not only did not know salvation at this point, but they actually feared the opposite. They were terrified because they believed this was the end of the line. They were as good as dead. The one they had sinned against so vile now stands before them in total control of their existence. Can you see the hand of God in your circumstances? Or are you so clouded with the events that you can't see what he's doing? Can you see him guiding you through the only treatment you understand? That God uses bad for our good. Charles Haddon Spurgeon has a sermon on this passage, which he found the condition of the brothers when Joseph revealed himself to them to be the, the condition of every truly awakened sinner. Spurgeon prote- portrays their misery in very graphic terms. He said, Quote, They knew they were sinners who had no excuse for their sins. Earlier, they had said, surely we are being punished because of our brother, Genesis 42, 21. And then they said, what is this that God has done to us in Genesis 42, 28? When the cup is uncovered in Benjamin's sack, they saw it as an uncovering of their guilt. How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your your servant's guilt, Genesis 44, Verse 16, these words are insights into what's happening to the brothers. Vile, sinful, now eroding and slowly falling captive to the love of an almighty God whose purpose is to save them and they weren't getting away. In this episode, when Joseph is revealed to them in the enormity of their guilt and its public disclosure is poured out on them, it is significant that they find themselves utterly speechless. As those who will one day stand before the judgment, they found their mouths stopped and themselves accountable. Paul wrote in Romans 3, 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The brothers' mouths were stopped, and they were accountable. For the first time, they realized they had sinned vilely, and there was no way out. Moreover, these brothers were not only overwhelmed with their guilt, but conscious that they were in Joseph's absolute power. He was the monarch. He could do with them whatever he wanted. Can you just feel their helplessness? For 22 years, they had guarded the secret. For 22 years, they had gone through life, and now for the first time in their lives, they recognize they are sinners, and they have no argument. Jonathan Edwards wrote, quote, To the awakened sinner, this also is a part of his misery, that he is entirely in the hands of that very Christ whom he once despised. For that Christ who died has now become the judge of the quick and the dead. He has power over all flesh that he may give eternal life to as many as his Father has given him. Do you see this, sinner? He who now despised is your master. Oh, what an awful thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. For even our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 10, 31. God is a consuming fire. And these brothers recognized they were about to be consumed. And there wasn't a thing they could do about it. Do you think you can escape the just judgment of God? If so, you're lost, though you may think yourself safe. The brothers were never more lost than when they supposed their sin was forgotten, that no one would ever find out about it. The brothers had put Joseph in a pit, but God took him out and put him on a throne. God took Jesus from the grave and put him on a throne, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That he is Lord. That's the Savior, Jesus Christ. They had embittered their father's life for 22 long years, and they didn't care a bit about his anguish. But God caused them anguish and restored the lost son. And in this moment, in their dread, the brothers saw that sin is futile, that it cannot be hidden, that it is there is consequences and they cannot be escaped that god must judge it fiercely if we left the story here it'd be tragic if your story stopped here it would be tragic for you wouldn't it but we have the call of jesus The last parallel between Joseph and Jesus in this story is amazing. Joseph called his brothers when they would have preferred to run away. And he called them effectively. This is the way Joseph's announcement of his identity ends. He had told them who he was. And they're terrified. But now, he commands them to come, to come closely. And they find not an angry monarch, but a loving, compassionate, forgiving brother. They had turned from sin. They were changed men. And when Joseph could have had them killed with a Snap of his finger, he commanded them, Come. And they come and and they fell upon him. Jesus also is calling you to come. If you hear his voice, it is because he has already made you sheep. Jesus said, My sheep, hear my voice. He could have judged you while you were yet in your sin, but he has turned you from it. This is why you hear the call. And now he wants you close to him. He wants to bring you close. He wants you to taste and see that he is good. Like the brothers, while we were Still sinners. Christ died for us. And now, like Joseph to his brothers, he's saying, Come, come. Later we'll see more about how Joseph called his brothers. But if you'll notice verses 14 through 15, then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept. On his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and he wept upon them. And after this, the brothers talked with him. You know what that's called? Fellowship. After brokenness, fellowship. Do you understand fellowship? It's an association, it's people who share the same mind, the same value, the same goals. They are now comrades, they are now one in spirit. And now they work to bring their father and their family. And Joseph has said, like Jesus has said, I will care for you. Bring your father. Bring your whole family to Goshen. Bring everybody here. I have talked to Pharaoh. I've got it covered. You'll be cared for. And can't you just hear Jesus making the same call to you saying, come, I'm going to care for you. I've already talked to my heavenly father. It's all worked out. You're safe now. Come home. Come home. What a blessed parallel that we see here. I'm even sure that Jesus called every brother by name. This wasn't just an old group hug. I'm sure he called each one by name. As Joseph called each one of his brothers, the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you as your brother. Run to him. Fall on his neck. And if you are already one of his sheep, but out of fellowship, run to him, the one who forgave you all your sins. Run to him. Because he's standing there with his arms wide open. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. There is no greater love, no greater experience that the human can have than to recognize they are a sinner in need of repentance and find out that there is a Christ who loves them who literally gave his life for them. In the guilt that you have, you recognize what Joseph says in chapter 50. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Can you look at the situations of life you're dealing with in the wretched pain and hurt and believe that God means it for good? That's something that's seldom seen until we come on the other side and look back and go, oh yeah, now I see it. I don't think there's been a thing in my life that I've ever gone through that I could look back and say, that's what you were doing. What mercy. God is not a God that stays in heaven while we work our way to get back to Him. That's why He gave us the Holy Spirit. To indwell us, to lead us. That's why he gave us the word of God, to give us his instruction. He has not left us orphans. He gave us his spirit to guide us every step of the way. Why then do we constantly look at the evil and fall prey to it when we're royalty? We're children of the king. And we've said this before, but Christ didn't go through all the work of dying on the cross just to leave you alone till you get to heaven. Your eternity has already started the moment you accepted Christ. And now the only thing that is left is to give him your life and walk in his grace. Run to him. You and I should be slaves. We should die for our sins. But because of his great mercy... We are now royalty. Is your life one of royalty? Or are you the child of the king and living in the mud? What an amazing story it would be if each one of us from this point forward would stop Let it go and let God do what God wants to do. Remember, before the foundation of the world, He ordained works that we should walk in them. You know what that means? He's already laid out a life for us that's ours if we just take it. Not a life of ease, comfort, and pleasure, because as long as we live in this world, as Jesus said, we'll have tribulation and trouble. But He said, I've already overcome the world. Trust me. Trust me. Those brothers were stopped dead in their tracks. It was over. And out of nowhere, Joseph called him to himself and loved on him. As we come to the table this morning, we're reminded of that very fact. Joseph is a type of Christ. He showed mercy when he could have easily showed hate and defeat. Jesus Christ showed us mercy while we were still sinners, and he ordained this ordinance that on a regular basis we should partake and remember his broken body and his blood shed for us. As we prepare and as the men come forward, would you go to the Lord now? Deal with what you have to deal with. Give him your life and allow him to make you the royalty he designed for you to be before the foundation of the world. Father, as we prepare now, speak to each one of us, Lord. Do your amazing grace in the heart of each one of us, Christians, non Christians, stalwarts, backslidden, wherever we find ourselves, Lord. May we be honest. May we be complete and may we be transparent to the one who sees everything anyway in Christ's name.